Welcome to Revealed Truth, the audio outreach ministry of Moores Creek Baptist Church. I am Pastor Roger Barnes, and I invite you now to join me as we open the Bible, God's Revealed Truth. So this morning as we open the Word, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4. It's a passage that we have been in. We'll start in the uh, 17th verse in our reading, Ephesians chapter 4, 17, uh, 17th verse. If you would be so kind as to stand in the honor of the reading of God's Word. And let's read a few verses together and see if we can't look into the heart of God this morning. So Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, it reads like this. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart who, being past filling, have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God, in true righteousness and holiness. Father, this morning we have worshipped you through our fellowship, through our Sunday school time together, through our singing, through our time with our children, through the blessing that this church has laid upon Wendy and I in sending us to Israel to walk where Jesus walked. And now, Father, as we open your word... I want you to set those things in the world aside and let us focus only on what you're about to say to us. For you are the Almighty God, and we come into your presence to hear your still, small voice. So this morning, I ask that you make very little of me and very much of you, that we might see you in all of your glory. This we pray in the name of your precious Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. A few weeks ago, before uh, we were separated for a few weeks, we were studying uh, the very first part of this uh, passage. We studied 17 through 19, which told us about that old man, how he had pointless thinking, and that his thinking came from his own understanding, how he had prideful theology. That prideful theology came from a darkened understanding, which the word there says was, was ignorant and a, and a blinded heart. We studied how it came uh, or led to a passive heart. This pointless thinking and this prideful theology led to this passive uh, heart. And it tells us that in verse 19 when it said that the heart had become past feeling. That moving from past feeling there where we no longer felt those things as we talked about in Romans, the first chapter said that we not only did those things which were against God, but we approved of those things that others did that were against God. And from there, it pointed directly to the fourth point of the old man, which was the perverted behavior that is going on. Verse 19 calls it lewdness. That lewdness being a very strong word. That lewdness being those things, quite honestly, we see going on in the world around us today. I mean, those, those passages there, those very first passages could have been written about America and the world in 2016. It really could. And, and it points to the old man. But then as we talked about just a couple of weeks ago, verse 20 jumps in and turns the coin over for us. Verse 20 started off with the words, but you. Remember, I've always told you my favorite word in all the Bible is the word but. 
Because quite often it, it follows where I've been described as the old man. And then it says something like, but you or but God steps in and changes. And that's exactly what Paul's doing in this passage. He's described the old man. And now he says, but you, who are the you? We talked about it. The you are those who know Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior. What Paul is pointing to here is not the population in general. He's pointing directly to the church of Jesus Christ, the ones who have accepted the fact that they are a sinner dying, headed to a place called hell. And they understand the only way to avoid the place called hell and to be in right relationship with their creator is through the death, burial, and resurrection of his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. And they have been moved so by the Spirit that they had the faith to believe in what happened at the cross, that what happened at the cross paid for their sins. And now by accepting that free gift of Jesus Christ from that cross where he died for their sins, they became the you that follows the but. So when he says, but you, he is speaking directly into the hearts of each person who has believed that Jesus Christ died for their sins personally. And that, that's the but you. Because he told us over in the second chapter of Ephesians, which was about a year ago, that it's by grace, through faith, that we are saved. And that faith is in Jesus Christ alone. And when we believe, when we have the faith to believe, now we are in Jesus Christ. So that but you is each of you who have believed. That, that's the but you. I have good news. If you're not part of the but you, you can be. By the end of the message today, I will guarantee you, you will hear multiple times how you can take the life that you're living that's headed to a place called hell and turn it around to point to a place called heaven. For it is my objective this morning for not a single person to leave this room and ever have the excuse to stand before God and say, I never heard the gospel. Today, when you exit that door, you will be accountable for your future. I will guarantee you that. That is my goal this morning, because that but you should be each one of us. Remember when we talked about it, I, I pointed back to the passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I believe it is, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. When in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he said that that but you should be this new man, because we are a new creation. The new creation not being a remodeled old you, but being a brand new you. Everything that was old, it says in that passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, is passed away. That means all those things that were you before Christ are gone, and now you stand a new creation. We specifically spoke about the last time we were together, how does that happen? It happens uh, first and foremost through this transformed mind, this transformed mind that it speaks about there in verse 20. When it says that we have so learned Christ, the first step in a transformed mind is learning this Christ, who this Christ is. It's not like you wake up one day and say to yourself, I think today's the day that I'm going to be saved. No, you learn about Christ along the way, and the Holy Spirit continues to speak to your heart till it comes to the point in time you realize that without Christ, you have nothing. Without Christ, you will spend eternity in a place called hell. There are those that say there is no hell. I don't want to be one of those that test that theory. Because I'm telling you, hell is spoken more of by Jesus in the Bible than heaven. By multiple times more. If hell is not a real place, then Jesus cannot be telling the truth. And the Bible says that Jesus is the truth. Therefore, everything he speaks is the truth. So there is, beyond a shadow of a doubt, a place called hell. 
And if you don't know him, if you're not the but you, if you not have not had your, your thinking changed by learning about this Christ, your destiny is a place called hell, which is separation from God forever in the torment that it says is like the gnashing of teeth in a place where fire never goes out. And, and even though there is fire burning, you're in ultimate darkness in your life. It's not a party. You're not going to be hanging out with your friends. Part of the fact that hell is hell is the fact that you will be all alone in that which you have done against a holy God. So you must learn this Christ, it says. So that was the first part of a transformed mind. The second part was how do we learn this transformed life? We learn it by hearing him. And you say, you look at me and say, Pastor, Jesus doesn't walk among us. How do we hear Jesus? I gave you a few scriptures last time. We'll run through real briefly. John 1.1 1, 1 tells us that in the beginning was the Word, that the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was from the beginning. So the Word, this which you hold in your hand, hopefully this morning, comes from this Jesus. At the very beginning of time, when Jesus looked out into the emptiness and the Spirit hovered over that void, God spoke. God spoke everything into existence. He didn't take out a tool set and build it. He spoke a word that created everything. The Bible backs that up when it says everything was created by him and for him. That passage is spoken specifically about this man named Jesus. So this word that you hear, this hearing him, the word, every time it's opened, read or preached, you are hearing the very breath of God. You're hearing from Jesus every single word. I hold tightly to the fact and will fight to my death and the fact that everything that is in this Bible is inspired by God, was written through the hand of man by the work of the Holy Spirit, by a sovereign God. There is not an error. There is not a mistake. There is not a contradiction. If it's written there, God said it, and it's his son Jesus Christ that's speaking to us through it. And so how, how do we hear him? We pick up his Bible. That's where I beat you over the head a couple of weeks ago, saying if you don't pick it up, you're not hearing from Jesus, and you wonder why your life's falling apart. That's where I hit you with the Bible, right there. Because if you really want to hear from Jesus, you can't sit with your legs crossed and your hands held in a funny position meditating. You've got to pick up the Word of God and read it. Because every time you do, you hear Jesus. He is from page one to page last. He doesn't just show up in the New Testament. Everything in the Old Testament speaks of this King Jesus. Every single word that's uttered points towards Jesus. As they looked, they were looking for the Messiah. Then comes the New Testament. He hung upon a cross after he had walked on the earth some 30 years. And then everything past the cross still points to Jesus in a backwards glance. For the Old Testament stood looking for him to come. We in the New Testament stood looking at what he did. But as we look at what he did, we're looking over our shoulder because he says he's coming back again. It's that day that your opportunity to have a changed heart and accept him as your Lord and Savior to go to heaven, that's the day your opportunity is over. When the cloud parts and the trumpet blows, your chance is done. Here's the part that scares me to death. We act as if we're going to live 100 years. There's one thing the Word tells me that scares me to death, and that's the fact that there is no guarantee there will ever be a tomorrow. There is no guarantee I will get to the end of this message without dropping dead in this pulpit. It doesn't scare me to drop dead in the pulpit because I'm ready to meet my Savior. 
What scares me to drop dead in the pulpit is that I haven't accomplished everything I feel like God's given me to do. But there will come a day when the clouds are going to part and your clock is going to be stopped. So do you hear him today? Do you hear him through that word? Well, not only do we learn about Christ, not only do we hear him through his word, but another point in that transformed mind is the fact that we are taught by him. See, some of us like to read the Bible, like to read the Bible and find the parts in it that make us feel good. See, I'm the exact opposite. I don't want to feel good about the good parts of the Bible. I want to find the parts of the Bible that make me look different, that make me change. I want to be taught how to get from where I am to where God wants me to be. And a major step in a transformed mind in your life is being willing to change and change through the Word of God. You see, being taught by Him is a step that we have for years left off in our process in churches. It's called discipleship. It really is. You may look at me and say, you know, I'm old. I no longer have the energy to do things in the church. I can't go out and work like you did yesterday. I'm not physically able. Let me tell you one thing that you can do. You can sit down with a brand new Christian with the Word of God and you can tell him how to move from the position that he's at to the position that you've gotten to because of the Word of God. And you can teach them and grow them in the faith. And do you realize that is our responsibility according to God's Word? See, your responsibility is to not save yourself. That's been taken care of by Jesus. Your responsibility is to take what God did in your life and share it with other people. Those who are lost, yes, so that they may come to salvation. And once they come to salvation, you're to come alongside them and walk with them on that journey. How many of you that have come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior have a nice, smooth road with no bumps? Anybody? I'm not going to raise my hand. You know what I am ever more thankful for that God has done for me? He has given me people in my life that will look me in the eye in those rough spots and tell me the truth out of God's Word to make that road a little smoother. I would dare say without those great men and women that have come along beside me over the years, I would not be the man that I am today. He calls each of us to do that, to help teach. You see, because salvation is simplistic, but salvation is not simple. Have you ever figured that out? Salvation is very simplistic in the fact that it is placing your faith in the God-man Jesus Christ. It is recognizing your sin and placing your faith there. But the problem with salvation is even though it's simplistic, it is in and of itself not simple. Because salvation is not a one-time experience. Because the Bible tells us over and over, we are to grow in our salvation we are to grow that salvation in our life it's to be a continual process that continual process starts with a word that we try to avoid as much as possible it's a word called repentance you want to know what's missing in our church today repentance repentance not to bash on the catholics if there happen to be any that are visiting with me i love you with the love of christ and i have nothing against you Yet they have made it very simple for the ones who walk in the Catholic faith to never repent. Because they can go once a week or however often it may be. I've never been a Catholic, I'm not sure. But they can go and sit and tell the priest what they have done as sin. And the priest can get prescribed to them something they must do. And they can be absolved of those sins. And they can leave absolved. To go back and fill the bucket up another week and go back and ask for the forgiveness again. Now we may look and say that's ridiculous. Be careful how you throw stones while living in a glass house. 
Because if we're really honest with ourselves, how many of you, and don't raise your hand, please, because I have enough on my prayer list today. I don't want to add the rest of you, 75. How many of you have asked for forgiveness of a sin in the last week that you know in your heart right now you need to ask forgiveness of that sin again? Not because God didn't hear you the first time, (laughs) but because once you were forgiven of it, you've committed it again. You see, that's being forgiven. That's not repenting of your sin. You see, repenting of your sin is saying, God, I agree. This thing that I have done in my life is a sin. I don't just want forgiveness. I want the strength to turn my back, to change my mind of how I am acting and reacting. I want to do away with that in my life and walk the road of holiness. To never go back to that sin again. What is wrong in our churches today? First and foremost, we don't want to be seen as sinners, so we hold it all inside and deal with it in a closet somewhere, and we never let another person walk with us down that journey. Mistake. Mistake. You bring somebody alongside with you to pray with you and walk with you. But second, the reason that we don't normally want to let others know that there's a sin in our life, because we're afraid we're going to be held accountable. Let's face it. We like it. We like that sin. Why won't we repent and walk away? We enjoy it. There's no other way around it. If it was something that truly broke your heart because it breaks God's heart, why would you go back and do it? Yet we're not willing to repent because in the back of our minds, we realize that we're probably going to go back there. See, what we should do is we should repent and change our mind, which changes our heart. And we change our mind and heart about three things, sin, self, and God. Number one, we should repent about the sin in our life. And this requires us to understand that sin is that thing in our life that does not glorify God. It's, It's not this list of things that we can't do. It's anything in our life that does not glory, glorify our holy God. You can justify just about anything in your life if you want to. Yet can you stand before a holy God and justify those things in His presence? If you can't, it's sin. I don't need to write down the top 100 and say avoid these. You know in your heart, if you are one of the but you, you know when you do something that does not glorify God, that requires repentance. True repentance. See, it's recognizing and agreeing with God that we have sinned and being willing to turn from that sin and turn towards Christ fully and completely. But we almost also must repent of the self in the equation. See, that's what gets us in the most trouble. In all honesty, it's the self. <laughs> See, we're repenting of that selfishness that wells up within us, admitting that we have lived a life of self-fulfillment. There's not a one of us in the room that could honestly stand up and say that we haven't lived a life of self-fulfillment. We do it every day. Most arguments in marriages come out of one person trying to be self-fulfilled when the other person is trying to be self-fulfilled and those two things don't line up. Most arguments in churches happen because somebody wants this thing to be self-fulfilled, somebody else wants this thing to be self-fulfilled, and those two things don't line up. Most arguments on the job are the exact same way. Most arguments in friendships, most broken relationships happen for that very same reason. Guess what? Most broken relationships with God happen for that exact same reason. 
Because we within ourselves have something we desire that God say no to, and we won't listen. It doesn't have to be a bad thing. Understand me, it doesn't have to be this sin. It could just be something at this moment God wants you to let go of so that you can put your hand in His. See, we need to take that self and do away with it. Jesus said that we are to daily die to self and pick up our cross and follow Him. That means what He wants is more important than what we want. So that requires repentance. We also need to repent of our denial of a holy God. See, we see God in different pictures in our minds. If I were to go around a room and ask each of you to describe God, there would be a multitude of answers to who God is and what God is. Keep in mind, God is everything that is holy. God is sovereign and in control of all things. We need to grasp the fact that this God who created all things with a spoken word, who maintains all things with just his finger, who loves us beyond all measure, this God is our God. This God that made the sun rise this morning and will make the moon come up when the sun sets is your God if you are a but you. This God who this morning brought the freshness of a new season to us as we stepped outdoors. Who turned the temperature down. That God is your God. And that's the God that loved you through the death of His only begotten Son. See, how do we come to this place of repentance in our life? That's the big question. See, we are taught by Him through the work of this Holy Spirit and the Word. Do you realize salvation is actually taught, not caught? Have you ever thought about that? Sitting next to a person in the pew that happens to be saved does not raise the fact that you may catch it from them. It doesn't increase your odds See, being in the presence of a person that's saved doesn't mean that it's going to fall off on you and you're going to become saved. Saved is actually something that's taught. We seem to think that we just walked into it one day. No. See, salvation is taught when you start hearing about the fact that there is something wrong with your life and there is someone who desires to fix it. Salvation very rarely is, I heard it one time and accepted it, philosophy. Most times, for most of us, we have heard about this Jesus multiple times before we ever became saved. Why? Because we took it in little bitty pieces. The Holy Spirit worked through that which was present that day, whether it be from the pulpit or a friend or someone who knows Jesus sharing with you. He took little pieces of that and started placing it into your heart. You were being taught every time someone talked to you about God and this man, Jesus. And see, that's something that we need to do. We need to teach others about Jesus. We want to figure out who to elect so that the country's fixed. And we want to figure out how to get people to stop shooting bombs at Israel. And we want to figure out all these economic things. There's one answer. It's Jesus. If everybody in this world loved Jesus like you love Jesus, would the world look different? Yeah. 
I would hope if they all love Jesus as I love Jesus, there would be no more bombs to shoot. We wouldn't even need a president. We wouldn't worry about the economy because if you didn't have money, I'd give you mine. You see, if, if everybody knew this man Jesus, we wouldn't have had to go through months of this sideshow that we've been watching on TV that's called a presidential election. They would do like they did at the Southern Baptist Convention not too long ago. I think I told you about it. You may not have watched it. You may not have heard. There was several people that were nominated. Two people, it was so close of a vote that they couldn't decide who the two were. Who was going to be president? They went through three or four attempts. And it still was a draw, a dead heat. That night, in prayer, one of the men sensed in the Spirit by the work of the Holy Spirit that the other man should be president. He went to him, sat down and said, God has told me it should be you, not me. I'm withdrawing. You know what the other man told him? You can't withdraw. I've decided to withdraw. Now the fight didn't become who was going to win. It was who was going to stay in. And it wound up they prayed together and understood that God had chosen one and the other guy graciously stepped aside. And he steps up in the, the podium the next morning and say, I withdraw. Because God told me to withdraw. You see, if everybody in our world, everybody in our country, loved Jesus like we're supposed to love Jesus, that would be what an election would look like. It wouldn't be about dragging up the dirt from 50 years ago, which I hope, no, I'm glad y'all didn't go back 20 years and drag up my dirt when you chose me to be your pastor. And it wouldn't be about things that were said or actions that had been taken. It would be about who God said should be the next president you see salvation is taught and it's taught by those of us who know jesus christ as our lord and savior through the word by the work of the holy spirit in the lives of those who do not know jesus even into the lives of those who have just become christians it is taught so that it grows within their heart you see how does this happen very quickly our minds must be transformed it must be transformed by the learning about Christ, who this man is. Then it must be changed by the power of the Word. All of our discussions, all of our thoughts, all of our witnessing should come through the Word of God because it is truth. And then it comes from us continually teaching that to one another. What is it that we are taught what is it that we are taught? Next week we'll talk about that, and it's called the truth-filled life. This morning, I just want to ask you a simple question. Are you one of the but you? Have you come to the point in your life that you, beyond a shadow of a doubt, recognize the fact that your mind has been transformed about how you think about this mighty God? Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God so loved you while you were a sinner that he sent Jesus Christ to die upon a cross? Have you even got to the first step where you even recognize that, that what is going on in your life is sin? If you've recognized that sin and, and recognized the fact that God loves you and wants to save you from that sin, have you in fact recognized that there's only one way you can be saved from that sin and it is this God-man named Jesus Christ? 
It's not about church attendance. It's not about being on the roll. It's not about going to Sunday school. It's not about knowing the books of the Bible. It's not even about being able to recite the Bible from cover to cover from memory. None of those things count. When you walk up to the pearly gates, they're not going to look and see if you're on Morse Creek uh, roll at church. They're not going to ask you, what is the fifth book of the Bible? They're not going to ask you, can you quote John 3.16? They're not going to ask you any of these those things. They're going to open the book of life and they're going to look and see if your name's written in the book of life because you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And if they look in the book and your name is not there, you can speak to your blue in the face about what you know about Jesus Christ, but you are not going to a place called heaven. You are going to be turned away and sent to a place called hell. And don't think that God sent you there, you sent yourself. Because God says that he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to die upon a cross for your sins. If you are part of the world, he died for you. If you are willing to repent of the sin in your life and accept that free gift of Jesus Christ. And in case you haven't noticed, it seems as if the days of this world are drawing near in a hurry. In a hurry. The way I read the Bibles, when they, all of us, when when the countries of the world turn against Israel, it won't be long before Gabriel is licking his lips to blow a trumpet. And in case you haven't been following the news, just recently, they are turning their back on Israel. When they attack Israel, Gabriel is going to start the trumpet. And it won't be long. I don't say it to scare you because I don't want to scare you into heaven because I can't. But I never want to stand before Jesus and have to answer for why I didn't tell you the truth. And the truth is this. If you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you know in your heart that you've never turned your life over to him, your destiny is a place called hell. And I love you too much and God loves you too much to let you go there without knowing the truth. And the truth is Jesus is the answer. So has your mind been transformed by hearing by learning and by being taught by Jesus to the point that salvation has welled up in your life and you feel comfortable standing before Jesus and saying, you are my Lord. Because there will come a day you're going to get that opportunity. I pray today that you're prepared. Thank you for joining us here at Revealed Truth. I would like to personally invite you to visit with us at Morris Creek Baptist Church. We're located at 3107 Union Chapel Road in Curry, North Carolina. Our Sunday school starts at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings and is followed at 11 o'clock with our Sunday morning worship service. We also have a time of prayer and Bible study on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. We look forward to seeing you soon.